Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry, I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think of a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where girls rule and boys drool. I am Karen Peterson, joined as always by Lauren Humphreys Brooks. We are very serious adult film critics. Um, <laughs> we're, we're grown ups. We're we grown are. Up. We're very serious adult film critics. That's what we are. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm doing fine. Doing fine. Waiting for yeah. a hurricane. Seeing, seeing if that's going to happen. Yeah. How, how, what? Uh, the current predictions <laughs> how close is it going to come to you is it going to be it's, like right over your house no it's not going to be right over my house that that's not what they're predicting one never knows i mean you know this this one in particular has been very unpredictable but um no it's it's supposed right now they're thinking that it's probably going to touch down somewhere in um massachusetts or just at the end at the edge of long island which is not where i live i do not live on long island well um, cool massachusetts is where my sister lives so you yes know. there, there awesome. are a lot of there are a lot of warnings on um uh for connecticut massachusetts a lot of the outlying islands in new york's like fire island um montauk etc so if you're right on the coast it's not great we're definitely going to get weather like that's the big question uh but but right now it is not predicted to pass directly over where I live. The biggest thing is, is winds and flash floods, but I, wind is far more concerning. I live on the 14th floor. So wind is far more concerning than flooding. Yeah. But yeah, so we'll see, we'll see. Oh. I'm, I'm good just kind of sitting here being like, all right, well, it's nice weather right now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that's good. Is yeah. it the calm before the storm? Is that what you're? Uh... I think so. That's very, very humid out. So it definitely feels like we're preparing for some rain. <laughs> Yikes. Well, while you're dealing with that, I'm dealing with possible COVID and that's fun. Not me personally, I don't think yet. I haven't, I haven't been tested, but I've also been told I don't need to be. So that's we'll see how that goes, but yeah, at work, you know, it's just, this is the joy of working with a public institution <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, in a pandemic but that's you know we've got a recall going on here in california and i think that i think that some shutdowns will start to happen after the recall's done if the governor keeps his seat mm-hmm. if he gets thrown out then everything's out the window and california is going to die like all <laughs> of california is just gonna burn that's just how it is please don't vote for larry elder um but uh yeah, vote, vote no on the recall, people. If you're in California listening to this, that's my plea to you. Please vote and vote no. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, er- early voting has started, hasn't it? You it has, yeah. Yeah, so some people have actually already cast their votes. Yeah, yeah I have please. my ballot. I haven't dropped it off yet. I'm going to probably do that today. And so, but but yeah, it's, it's just everyone who's running to like try to steal the seat is running on a campaign of like i won't have mass mandates like 
the main guy that is probably the the likeliest winner is larry elder who's a radio personality he's had radio talk shows for years and he literally his campaign uh commercials have been like well we need to recall the governor because of corruption and if i am elected i'm just gonna not have mask mandates and i'm not gonna close stuff and i'm like okay so that's the whole thing you're running on we have to get rid of the governor the duly elected governor we have to get rid of him just because you say there's corruption you're like what are you where mm. <laughs> it's so frustrating it's like he's out of office next year anyway spend your time and energy focusing on the replacement person not this first you know yeah so so if if he was to get recalled and someone else were to be installed would then the next year there would be another election anyway yeah yeah okay, it's just to so, finish his term that's so weird yeah that's so weird i mean i kind of understand so like you know in new york obviously we we just we we just got a new governor um <laughs> I, I i don't know when she actually officially becomes governor but you know cuomo resigned i think it was uh, two weeks from whenever he resigned so yeah so soon very soon yeah. actually um so yeah so which i get and but it was that's like the lieutenant governor because the governor resigned right that's not and like we're gonna completely replace exactly the entire governor. yeah and that's where it's like after the whole schwarzenegger thing happened in the early 2000s they should have there does need to be a process in place for getting rid of of politicians elected officials that are corrupt that are you know committing crimes things like that there needs to be a process in place for that and i'm i'm not a fan of gavin newsom i never voted for him i don't like him uh i want him gone for many reasons but i also think he hasn't done anything that rises to the level of like just unseating him right now you know at least in my understanding of our state mm -hmm. politics and what frustrates me is the process really is 100 just so it's the only way that republicans can can get power at that mm -hmm. level because the way and i don't agree with the way that our primaries are done it's just the top two candidates so you can have two people from the same party duking it out at the general election and um i mean i'm personally not in favor of parties at all but i think that's just not the that's not the way to fix it um and so so yeah what they need to do is reform the system so that if there's a recall of the governor it's not just a whole bunch of random people throwing their hat in the ring and becoming the governor it needs to just fall to the lieutenant governor they don't run together it's not a ticket mm -hmm. so it's not like oh. the president and the vice president huh. they run separate elections they are each separately elected this is very weird, I have to say, as an outsider. I know that every state has its own politics, and but California seems to have some of the weirder politics. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Ways that for for such a massive state too, for mm -hmm. so, for a state that has like such a large uh, population and like percentage of the U.S. economy. I mean, you guys are basically another country. Yeah, we um, have like the fifth largest economy in the world. Yeah, it's wild. Mm -hmm. uh, and well, and then it's like there's all these stupid things like the um the amend like the constitution can be amended or just other laws can be passed either by the legislature or by getting enough um 
petition signatures to put it on the ballot for a vote of the people so it's like why do we even have the legislature (laughs) you know and it's just like yeah california is a mess we need to clean it up really bad sounds wild yeah anyway you're listening to the california politics (laughs) podcast we always do this like i'm sorry to our (laughs) listeners who don't enjoy this you know if you if like a large percentage of you do not enjoy us talking about this random shit at the beginning of our episodes please let us know because we're going to keep on doing it yeah unless people like overwhelmingly tell us to knock it off we're just going to keep doing it because we like it (laughs) or your other options you can just fast forward a couple of minutes yeah exactly Anyway, well, we did have some news this week. Um, so let's start with the Denis Villeneuve stuff. Um, it's interesting <laughs> because the article that you had sent me earlier, a couple days ago, has been deleted, or the tweet, because apparently that was actually from last year. It wasn't current. So I'm not sure where we stand uh... on that. Mm-hmm. But there's been, been a whole lot of talk about this article that resurfaced that was from i think a french newspaper originally um saying that denis villeneuve refuses to send out screeners or links or anything for dune that he insists that critics watching the movie industry people watching the film they have to see it in a theater which um Good luck with the Academy if that's your stance, because it's required to be on the Academy's streaming platform to be considered for Oscar nominations. So there you go. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think that the other article actually is contemporary about okay. um, the the boat in a bathtub, the speedboat in a bathtub. Discussion. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that, that that is more contemporary. But that that particularly was about um, the fact that Dune is being released in theaters and on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Right. So which, you know, and I guess it's kind of fair that the Vienna is, is pissed off about that. I, you know, I, I think that there are probably reasons for filmmakers to be angry about having these day and date releases. Um, at the same time, you know, the, there's this constant prizing of the theatrical experience. Right. And people keep on using that phrase, too. And it's reached a point where I'm like, I don't know what you think the theatrical experience is anymore like what does this actually look like is it just seeing a film on a big screen like because i i most films that i see are not on big screens anymore that's true for most people i think um, yeah as as we've talked about previously you know I've, I've never seen jaws on a big screen does that mean that i've never seen jaws you know do i have to always watch it does every first viewing of every film have to be on a big screen because in that case like there are a lot of films i'm never going to see I don't know. I just find it very, I find it very odd and very limiting that there are filmmakers, people like Villeneuve who are almost, almost saying, don't see my movie. I'm like, okay, you know what? If, if the, if the requirement is I have to see it on a big screen, fine. I'm not going to see it because Mm -hmm. I don't feel comfortable in theaters right now. Um, And even then, I don't know if I'd see it because I don't necessarily want to sit through a 155 minute film in a movie theater while someone chews popcorn next to me. Mm-hmm. well and that's the thing like what what these guys don't understand they have access to to screening rooms they probably some of them have screening rooms in their houses 
And so their version of a theatrical experience is very insulated. Let me tell you, last night I went to see Reminiscence at the AMC and there weren't very many people there. So we were pretty distanced, partly because just nobody knows what the fuck that movie is. I've watched it and I'm still not totally sure. But my experience was I'm sitting in this theater. I'm in the back row. Uh, There's some people nearby me. One girl her smartwatch kept lighting up through the whole movie and it was very distracting. She kept responding to messages on it. You know, someone else kept checking the checking their time, you know, on their phone. Uh, People are talking. It's like, this is what the theatrical experience is that you're all so dedicated to. This is the reality in pretty much any theater you go to, unless you happen to pick a time where no one else is there. This is the experience of watching a movie in a theater. This is what you're so dedicated to. I can be much more focused and much less distracted sitting at home, watching it in my living room without other strangers just talking around me and and, and interrupting. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, I I don't want to say that like, oh, I hate going to the theater. I, I like going to movie theaters. I want to feel comfortable going to them again. That's something that I've always enjoyed doing. Um, you know, and I've had some great experiences in movie theaters watching films for the first time. Like, I, I mean, I'm sorry, one of the last films I saw before before the pandemic, it was Cats, right? And that was a fantastic experience because it was so <laughs> funny. Like, and everyone in the theater was so engaged with how batshit insane this movie was. That was a great experience. I had a great time. That's, that's something that I'm glad I got to do. You know, I went to see um, The Lady Vanishes at Film Forum in a 35 millimeter print. That was a wonderful experience for me. But there, there are those experiences and then there are the ones that you're describing the people answering their phone people talking people like you know i can't uh i can't imagine you know I, I remember going to see the witch and there were a whole bunch of people who began talking halfway through that movie because mm-hmm. they obviously did not really know what they were going to see right um a so- quiet place too i was like wow all these people that I'm in the theater with would be dead in the first five minutes because they can't <laughs> shut up for five minutes. So, you know, the, the, the theatrical experience for a lot of people is very expensive. It's not necessarily, you're not guaranteed a good time, right? You, you might have a really good experience or it might be a terrible one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, and like, I, I am very much like you in that I, I've, I often try to go to, the, to movie theaters at like non-peak times so that I don't have to deal with that. So I'm like, okay, I'm sitting here in a recliner watching a movie. I could literally do this at home for much cheaper. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so that's, yeah, I, I, I get, I'm getting tired of this whole idea that the theatrical experience is by necessity superior. Right. to watching a movie at home that and then also this this sort of hubris of, of certain filmmakers people like Villeneuve or Christopher Nolan um who are like you must see my film in a theater and it's like or otherwise you just you're not really experiencing it it's like so your film is so fucking special that you don't you're not grateful that other people that people are watching it what you want is that they have to watch it correctly and if yeah. they don't watch it correctly, they're not really experiencing it. Yeah. And then the other piece of this, because I, I completely agree with all that. And of course, I am with you. I enjoy 
going to the movies you know even last night even with the the annoying stuff that was going on it was like I still enjoy seeing a movie on a big screen in a Dolby theater with this great kick-ass sound system and all that I like that but for me where I see a lot of movies and um you know and you know I just I go all the time and my experiences are varied (laughs) based on a lot of factors I can roll with it for other people who like they get to go to maybe one movie every couple of months because they've got kids or they just can't afford it or whatever and it's like this is their experience going to the movie that would be that would just make me insane I would be so upset and I'd be like why am I bothering to do this anymore I'm just gonna watch something on Netflix at home yeah exactly and I mean we've talked about this uh in various forms for a while, but this was going on long before the pandemic started. The, the pandemic has just sort of sped things up a lot. Yeah. Um, this issue of, of the theatrical experience, this issue, you know, the reason why we now have recliners in movie theaters, we have all of these, you know, new things is because um, people weren't going basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were trying to get people to be willing to pay for, to go to the movies, to be willing to sit in the movie theater, all of those things. And so now the pandemic has just kind of exacerbated all of those issues. Um, the other thing that we've, we've talked about before that Kristen has talked about um, uh, both on this podcast and in articles and things like that is the issue of access and the issue of ableism. And there is a lot of ability access um, that, that is, is challenged by theaters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I know that my, my own parents, like my, my mother is in a wheelchair. Um, my father is, is over 65. Like, um, this th- going to a movie theater is something of an, a chore for them. And so not having, having access to so much more at home is something that like they watch movies all the time they love films um but they don't have that access to movie theaters in the same way and even if even when they do they're going to a multiplex they're because of the area of new york that they live in it's not like me where i have like 15 different theaters within walking distance um and and that is also something that's not really discussed. The, the availability of film via streaming actually makes a difference for disabled critics, for disabled people. People get to experience more films in more different ways. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you just referenced Kristen. She wrote this article a week or two ago um, for IndieWire, which, which is where she works. And it was about the um critics access to screeners and screening links right now while we're in a pandemic and how denying that is part of the problem and how it also makes it difficult for disabled critics to do their jobs and um and yeah there's some interesting quotes in here from from some critics around la one of which is justin chang who works for the la times and he's this one actually cracked me up just in light of like the Denis Villeneuve stuff he's like if filmmakers knew what studios were doing on their behalf and how they're treating their films they'd be really upset all this mess is because we're in a public health crisis there needs to be some sacrifice made for people's safety and health and people's ability to do their work and it's like oh so sweet and innocent that he thinks that all the filmmakers 
<laughs> are upset or would be upset that the studios are blocking access and it's like no i i I respect Justin Chang. He's a great writer. He's a very great film critic. But in this case, I think that's a little bit um, backwards. Well, but that's the thing you would hope, wouldn't you? You'd be yeah. like, well, of course, filmmakers want to have want people to see their movies. Why wouldn't they? Like, yeah. you know. And I think in a lot of cases, like especially the smaller studios and the independent filmmakers absolutely they just want eyeballs on it but yeah people like christopher nolan and villeneuve and you know some other folks they want people to they they want the theatrical experience back whatever they define that as and to the point where if a critic doesn't see it in a theater then they're basically dismissing that that critical analysis as invalid because they didn't see it the right way. Well, and and again, you're also talking about, um, you know, that issue of access. So disability access, um, Mm -hmm. also just access in terms of location. Yeah. So being in New York or LA is one thing if you're, or, um, you know, I've seen a number of critics talking about the only access that they get in the UK is via London, right? Mm -hmm. So if you live, if you exist outside of London and you're a critic, you basically don't get access to those screenings, period, yeah. right? So streaming and and screening links and things like that actually give more people more access. And so there there is this, this other gatekeeping element to all of this. And I think that there are also a lot of major critics from, from bigger publications that are invested in keeping those gates. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's, that's another issue. So I think that one of the reasons, you know, you see a lot of people then come out just like, well, but the theatrical experience is like, it's interesting, who do you write for? Um, and, and very often they're, they're bigger publications, not smaller websites, not independent websites. You know, these are, these are people, first of all, that live in major cities, but then also have the wherewithal to go to those screenings. Yeah. Um, you see critics also complain about the fact that there are screenings that are in the middle of the workday. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, if I have another job that I do to support my habit of being a critic, um, that I have to, yeah, I can't go to that screening because I have a job. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I had to miss Shang-Chi this week. They had screenings here in Hollywood. And this is the first one, like all the Disney stuff that has been out this year, they've given us the option. Like once they, once they started doing in-person screenings again, they gave us the option of watching it in the theater or getting a link. And um, I've just been doing in theater because they've been keeping it really you know, really reduced the number of people that are there and stuff. So it's felt really safe and it's been fun to go sit in, you know, the El Capitan and and watch a movie. Um, But for Shang-Chi, this is the first one. They did not provide links. They did not offer screeners for it. You had to watch it there. And my choices were 11 o'clock in the morning when I am in the middle of working or six o'clock in the evening when I was already committed to screen another movie. And so I was just like, well, I guess I'll just watch Sing Chi when it comes out. I'll just watch it with everyone else. Um, and that's a bummer. But oh, well, that's the choice I had to make because mm-hmm. they didn't offer links for it. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I love Marvel movies. I love all the Marvel movies, even the bad ones. Um, and I will still go pay money to see this movie just because I want to see it in the theater if I can. But to just not even give me that option now is just, I don't understand it. Especially while things are getting worse and not better. 
Yeah, exactly. There, there's this this pushing towards like, oh, we're going to go back to normalcy. It's just like, well, you know what? Normalcy wasn't working great before all of this happened. Yeah. Uh, now I think that maybe we need to talk about not going, not just going back to that. And um, and yeah, a lot of it is about the bottom line. Um, but ultimately, you know, when you come back to someone like Villeneuve, what do you want? Like, because there are there, it, there's exactly one way that I am going to see Doom. I am going to see it on a small screen. I'm not going to sit in a movie theater for that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I don't particularly want to pay for anything that, <laughs> I don't want to pay extra for anything that uh, Denis Villeneuve makes. Um, and two, I'm not comfortable sitting in a theater. I don't think I'm going to be comfortable in October either. Yeah. That's it, right? So do, and and this is the other thing, his getting the second part of that film made is going to be dependent on people watching it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you would which is say- why I don't understand. Yeah. And I mean, he he didn't win. Like they're gonna do the HBO Max yeah. release drop, which is good. But but yeah, it's like if he were really getting his way, that wouldn't be happening and his movie would fail, and then he'd be mad that it failed. And I just yeah, I don't get it. You you would t- I don't know I just again I just think that if you're if you're a filmmaker with any degree of understanding of the world and maybe you know he's not um, and certainly people like Christopher Nolan aren't as he proved last year you would I mean the goal- is Canadian so <laughs> so mean uh, the goal would be for for the most people to get to see your movie that like I don't understand why you wouldn't want that however they watch it and and to to dictate or to try to dictate say like well i'm angry because you know you're not seeing it correctly it's like i have a problem with that mm-hmm. um so you know congrats to Denis Villeneuve. i did not particularly want to see your version of tune but now i really don't <laughs> so yeah. thanks bro but a movie i do want to see and i will watch this on any screen i can when it finally comes to theaters near us is the black canary movie yeah this so is happening glad. oh my gosh when i so saw glad. jenny smollett um she retweeted uh i think it was either deadline or i can't remember who it was last night probably collider um when she retweeted that last night and i saw that it's really a go i was so so excited because oh my gosh i want that movie right now <laughs> yeah so. and- and it's going to be with Misha Green too. Yeah, did, Misha um, Green is directing it. Yeah, who did uh, uh, Lovecraft Country? Wow, uh-huh. there we go. And <laughs> you know that that show had issues and and everything, but I'm really excited about um, about the possibilities of that. It definitely had issues, but it was this big, spectacular, like just big, big show. And uh, I almost called it a movie, but. Um, <laughs> But I, it's the kind of thing where I'm like, I'm excited to see her translate that into Black Canary's story and see where we go with this. I can't wait. And honestly, I think this is the the route. Like, I think we're going to see another Birds of Prey movie, too. I really do. I, because I, of I this. really hope so. I really mm-hmm. hope so. Uh, yeah. But yes, it, it'll be awesome. Like, I'm, I'm very excited about it. Definitely. Yep. So I don't know when it's coming. We just like they just announced that it's that it's happening. But um, yeah, can't wait. Cannot wait. So that will be fun. 
All right. Okay. So we wanted to talk about not Denis Villeneuve this week. Um, <laughs> so let's actually get into the whole reason that we're here today, which is talk about <laughs> animation, but not just like Disney movies and Mickey Mouse and stuff like that. We wanted to talk more specifically about animation that is geared toward grownups mm-hmm. um, and with more adult themes, not like porn necessarily but you know <laughs> grown-up whatever movies you, yeah whatever you say like oh adult <laughs> animation i was like okay what we mean by this is animation yeah. for adults not like your jessica rabbit porn whatever yeah you get some interesting searches when you google adult animation adult so animation. i recommend searching <laughs> nah. animation for grown-ups was <laughs> much safer uh results so Anyway, before we get into some specifics on some of our favorites and different um, different mediums and stuff like that, media, um, let's talk a little bit about animation in general and a little bit of the history of it. So, Lauren, why don't you start us off with, with kind of where animation came from? Well, animation, uh, I mean, the, the concept of moving images uh, has been around since forever. I mean, actually, if you look at the Wikipedia page about the history of animation, you have things talking about like Leonardo da Vinci and cave paintings. And um, and so the, the idea of like drawings that represent motion, right, has been around for a really long time. But then, of course, with, with cinema, you begin to get some of the earliest examples of cinema have actually been um, been animation. Uh, so you be, one of the earliest examples is, of course, the Magic Lantern, um, and the so it's essentially just this projection of fast images um, that shows that gives gives the sim, gives the appearance of movement. Um, and so then you get into some of the later actually filmed animation. Uh, and we've talked about people like Lottie Reniger, who um, was a major animator, uh, directed one of the first, if not the first, full-length animated feature film. Um, so I'm going to just pause you for a second, because I'm looking at an article that was published on, let's see, New York Film Academy's website. And they credit the first, uh, the first animated feature film as a 1917 film from i'm not sure which country but it's south american called el apostal is does it still exist i'm not sure because i think that that's i think that that's the uh issue that the adventures of prince ahmed is the is the um the oldest one that exists yeah oh yeah it was destroyed in a house fire that's so sad yeah and and i think that there might also be um even an earlier one i want to say that there's one from Hungary or someplace like that, that they think was even earlier than that. But again, it's the, it, they don't exist anymore. So again, yeah, so sad. like most silent films, like most examples of early cinema, there's a lot that just it isn't around, right? So we don't know necessarily. Um, but Adventures of Prince Ahmed does tend to, it, it predates uh, Disney, it predates um, most other films. Yeah, Prince Ahmed uh, was what, 1927? 26, yeah. 26. Uh, and then, of course, into the 20s, uh, you're beginning to get, you have a lot of animated shorts all the way actually through the, 
through um, early cinematic period. So you've got Thomas Edison films. Um, I think that one of the earliest is a film about a dinosaur. If I can remember exactly when that pops up. Um, Gertie the Dinosaur in 1914. Gertie the Dinosaur, Gertie the dinosaur yeah. And that's, that's also a surviving film. So some of this is also about what is surviving. We know about particular types of films um, that have been, that, that appeared much earlier than that. But like, again, even if you just look back through the chronology of animation, you have various forms of animated images going all the way back to the mid 19th century. Um, and this is of course, long before cinema is even invented. Mm -hmm. uh, and then of course, by about the 1920s, you're getting into the Disney, the Disney period, Warner Brothers, Max Fleischer Studios, um, stuff like that. But I think that in terms of the discussion that we're having today, one of the things we need to note is that none of these films were intended for children in the sense that they were being, that the, the concept of animated figures were for somehow for small children, that this wasn't an adult pursuit. This was an adult pursuit. Um, most of these films, and this is even going into, you know, the more advanced kind of uh, animation that was being produced by Disney or, or Lottie Renegar, and then later into Looney Tunes, you know, stuff like that, were directed at everybody pretty much. They were made, these were films that were being made for not, not necessarily family friendly, but they were not being made for specific age groups. This was not like, oh, kids will like this, but adults, you know, are too advanced for it or something like that. Um, these are films that are being made for everybody. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about um, just animation as far as our own personal connection to it. So what are some of the things that you like in general? Not not film specifically, unless you want to go there now. But um, but in general, what are some of the things that that you enjoy about animated filmmaking? I think that it's the the scope of animated filmmaking is is remarkable because what you you know we're limited at what we can do with live action. We've become less limited, obviously, and so now there's much more overlap between what is animated and what isn't. But the sheer scope of what you can represent in animation is just so much bigger. And I, I think that later we're gonna talk about films like Paprika. Um, the, the ability to, to just kind of do whatever you want to do almost um, with those kinds of stories is something that I, I really like. It's the fact that you can have, you know, something as simple as Wiley e. Coyote dying multiple times <laughs> and coming back, you know, falling off of cliffs, which you can't do with, real coyotes i mean you can <laughs> but it's illegal and you shouldn't do it um but certainly they're not going to survive falling uh but but that, that's the thing you can represent this extremity of everything you can show so much you can pretty much do whatever whatever you want to whatever a filmmaker wants to imagine or whatever you want to imagine is something that can actually be produced by animation and um that's one of the reasons i like um some of these art house animation showcases and things like that of actually showing this is what animation is capable of um and it stretches way beyond you know cute stories about talking animals yeah there was a film festival that started here in la a couple years ago called animation is film and uh i went to it the first year and then there's been scheduling conflicts and stuff and then i hope it comes back because um they they did such a great job of 
inviting filmmakers from all over the world with different types. You've got claymation, you've got hand drawing, you've got computer animation, you've got painted, you've got pencil sketches, you've got all sorts of different types of, of artistry on display with so many different themes. And it's themes that that adults can relate to it's humor that is geared for more sophisticated minds and um and yeah what i think especially with thinking back to the films i saw the first year i was like i was watching really interesting uh there's one called bird boy and it's a spanish film and it has such such an interesting way of showing um the effects personal and sociological about like drug addiction and and um and how that can just destroy people and how it can destroy like a whole way of life and um and then there's other films too where it's like just the the creativity that is possible in animated films like you mentioned um you know the lines are getting blurred now because anything is possible in live action films too quote unquote live action because the reason that those things are are possible is because of all the stuff that has been done in animation and so it's like one of these days they're gonna accept or or finally be forced to admit that like the marvel movies are half animated (laughs) you know (laughs) it's true it's true well it's it's like you know the release of stuff like the lion king it's like live action it's like not really not at all (laughs) there's one shot in that whole movie that's an actual like from a camera shot of a real thing that exists that wasn't created by artists and so well and uh, to to kind of relate to that um that's you know you're talking about the different kinds of animation that exists and there's there's such a again it's that broad scope there's so many different forms of animation just there's so many different mediums that you can use the the hand-drawn computer animated claymation stop motion you know all of these different things um one of the weirder ones is something called uh pin screen animation which is literally just like these little pins and it, it had a very short um had a very short lifespan i think it was created in like 1932 uh but again it's fascinating and it's it's it shows both what cinema can do, what the use of cinema can do, and also the the degree of just human creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are so many different ways of of animating things, right? And and I like I like the title of that festival because it's also true. I mean, cinema is animation. You know, cinema started out as these single static images that then you run, and when you run them, they become active. They become motion pictures. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And when you use these different uh, these different mediums for your your storytelling, it opens up the world of what you what you can tell too. And there's such a broad scope of, of like you know, like I mentioned, themes. You know, I've seen animated films that deal with illegal immigration with war with trafficking with all kinds of things that are just it it just shows that animation is something that we can all appreciate and i think that it's interesting to watch how people just dismiss it 
as you know just for kids we're, we're going to talk more specifically about animated tv shows in a bit but i remember when i was in like junior high and the simpsons yes this is how old i am the simpsons first you know got started as a tv show i remember too and it was just a short on the tracy ullman show but i was in junior high when it became a full-fledged tv show on its own and so many parents were letting their little little kids watch it and had no idea what it was because they didn't watch it themselves they just thought oh it's it's a cartoon it's for children and didn't realize all the adult themes that were in that show yeah yeah i mean the the simpsons is very much a primetime sitcom basically situations so not like really extreme adult themes but you know definitely not i mean some of the earliest Simpson episodes are about like alcoholism and well like parents at the time I remember when it was first getting started parents couldn't understand why their kids were suddenly being so disrespectful to them it's like because you let their hero (laughs) be Bart Simpson well and what I find very funny is that then you know fast forward to to me in junior high when South Park came out (laughs) yeah uh and it was a similar thing it's just like this is a you know it it looks like it's for children and I remember you know South Park has its own issues I there are things that I love about South Park and things that I look back on like maybe not so great um but I, I remember um, I think it was Trey Parker and Matt Stone came out and were like, look, our show is on at 10 o'clock on Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. Like if your kid is up watching television at 10 o'clock and they're watching Comedy Central, then the issue is not our stupid cartoon. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and it's true. It's, it's like just because it's animated does not mean, I think we finally accepted this, you know, just because it's animated does not mean that it is for children and that it is appropriate for children. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that, honestly, I think one of the ways that we've really finally started to accept that, and this is, I, I would venture to say that this is more of an American problem than anywhere else, because I think that around the world, um, they seem to just looking at some of the the more grown-up uh animated films like that get nominated for oscars for example they're foreign language films usually they you know they deal with themes that are are for a more international audience and so i feel like and and maybe this is conjecture but i feel like this is a uniquely american problem where we just go oh cartoon kids yeah and i I think that you know some of the objections to things like the simpsons or south park were also a matter of policing you know um it was the morality police kind of attitude and i and i'm not saying i'm not saying at all that south park is 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 appropriate for eight-year-old children it is not um but i i think that there's this attitude that because i don't like it it should not exist right um and And because i object to it it shouldn't exist instead of just parents parenting their children yeah exactly it's it's that issue of using particularly when in the time periods that we're talking about using the the television as a babysitter essentially um so you know watch anything that you want to kids it's like maybe not and and i i do think that we've reached a point where where we understand that and particularly when in regards to animation you know the concept of adult animation um, on television in particular has become much more ubiquitous uh because we have things like The Simpsons very much pioneered that. Um, this, this whole concept of television shows that are 
sitcoms that are, some of them are very mature. Like I say, I, I don't think that South Park is ever really intended for children. Um, teenagers, young adults, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, now we have shows like Bob's Burgers. We have shows like um, one of my favorites was King of the Hill. I'm still very sad that it's not. I love King of the Hill <laughs> anymore. Um, no, Hank Hill would never have voted for Trump. Thank you very much. No, um, just don't even start with me. <laughs> Hank Hill. Hank. Hank is a good man. Like in in most ways, he doesn't always get it, but he is actually a good human being. Yeah. Um, but but yes, yeah, so you have. A, all of these, you know, and I, we actually have a question about Rick and Morty, right? So all of these shows that are very much for adults or at least for, for older children and teenagers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And since we did go ahead and start talking about this now, let's let's ask our question. So this is from at Serena6783. What are your thoughts on Rick and Morty? I, I don't have any because I have um, not seen it me neither. at all. I was hoping that you had. <laughs> I'm really sorry. But I, let me talk about why I haven't seen it, because I think that this is, you know, an interesting, interesting is point, actually. <laughs> no, not because it's a kid show. Um, no, because of all of the toxicity that has surrounded it. Mm. Um, you know, you hear about, and, and the way that I was introduced to Rick and Morty, the first time that I heard about it was all of these conversations about like Rick and Morty fanboys and, um, and some of the attitudes that, have, that were taken about Rick and Morty by, by some of these straight white men, you know, this kind of reinforcement of incel culture, like all of this stuff. And the, the thing is, I've seen a lot of dialogue talking about, you know, well, that's not the show's fault and it's probably not, but it's one of the reasons why I haven't really sat down to watch it. And I'm saying this as someone who loves, I love animated sitcoms. I love Bob's Burgers. I love King of the Hill. I love uh, The Great North, you know, those shows. And I would probably enjoy Rick and Morty if I actually sat down and watch it, but the, the toxic nature of it um, has just completely put me off. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I don't have a reason. I just haven't watched it. <laughs> I really just haven't but it's funny it's like I don't have a problem with animated tv shows I just don't tend to watch them not for even any particular reason like I did love king of the hill I've seen bob's burgers and it's really good um I've seen a couple of episodes of archer at the insistence of one of my coworkers, you know and so it's it's I think that you know just like films I think animated television shows are very creative and sometimes wickedly funny but i just tend to be more drawn toward live action when it comes to tv well so. the, this is an interesting point though because a closely related show actually to rick and morty and to so, something that i have seen is bojack horseman mm -hmm, which um, i also have not watched which which is a, a complicated complicated show but bojack horseman and then also tuca and birdie um, which I'm very sorry, sorry to say that I have not seen the, the new season because it's not on a network that I can access. Uh -huh. um, but I'm, I think that it's going to be on HBO Max at some point. So I am looking forward to that. Um, but something like BoJack Horseman, which is deeply adult, but one of the things that, that these shows can actually address, and I think that they can do it because they're animated, um, is some of these questions of toxicity, the questions of... Um, uh, in, in the case of BoJack Horseman, the, the questions of addiction. And they can represent it in ways that are maybe almost more palatable than if this was taking place 
with real human beings. Um, and, and the fact that, that the, the medium of animation kind of allows for a greater degree of exaggeration, a greater degree of extremity, um, means that we can actually talk about some of these topics and make it funny, but also really address them in a serious way. And I think that that's something that um, particularly Bojack Horseman and then Tuca and Birdie have managed to do is to make this kinetic, insane, hilarious shows that then have these very deep and emotionally affecting um, plot lines. Hmm. Cool. Well, on that note, let's talk about Let's talk about that as far as some more specific animated films that we have enjoyed. So what are a couple of your favorite animated films? Uh, I love Fantasia because it fucked me up. Um, <laughs> I love Fantasia too. And that's probably the first like grown up animated movie I ever saw. Yeah. Speaking of an animated film that looks like it's for children. <laughs> and is very much not because you have, you have oh it's disney it's fine mm -hmm. mickey mouse is in it it'll be great it's like <laughs> no my brain will never be the same after seeing night on bald mountain um yeah. ever <laughs> yeah uh yeah i i but i do love fantasia i particularly i actually particularly love the sequence night on bald mountain because it's so frightening and so bizarre um but you know again it's that this this wonderful marriage of image and sound, right? There's no dialogue really, uh, other than the little interim um, conversations between each piece. There's no dialogue. It's just image, and it's image done to um, the, these fantastic pieces of music. And and I like the the I like that quality in it definitely. So that's that's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, um, a couple of mine that are sort of related are persepolis from i want to say 2010 mm -hmm. and um the breadwinner from 2017 and i say they're kind of related because one is a girl who grew up in iran and the other is a girl from afghanistan and it's they're very very different films and they're very different stories but they're uh the reason that i feel like they're kind of they're they're kind of connected at least in my brain is because of the fact that there are these stories of, of young girls growing up in really oppressive um places in the world and the different things that they have to do to be able to survive that and of course their journeys are very very different but um but the thematically i feel like they share some some similarities but persepolis is this beautiful it's um it's hand-drawn and it's uh like there's some present day scenes that are in color but then most of the film is flashbacks and it's all black and white and the use of black and white in animation and especially in the style of animation is is so um is it's just beautiful and it's mesmerizing and it really is effective in conveying mood uh, because of the way that they they shadow and 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 everything certain certain aspects it's it's really incredible and then with the breadwinner it's very bright and colorful even while all these really dark things are going on and actually in the wake of of everything that's happening in afghanistan now it's <laughs> good time to go back and revisit that film um but it's uh it's a much it's one of those where it's like the use of color almost uh, 
betrays the theme, but in a, in a really effective way. So it's like really sad, tragic things are happening all around her, but you know, but it's, it's bright. And so it's kind of, it's kind of like when you have a horror movie set in the day, you know, and, um, and there are some really interesting, there's like this really interesting dream sequence in the breadwinner that is a different style of animation completely that just makes it stand out. And it's, it uses like kind of some of Lada Renegar's um, style with the paper animation and and some shadows and things it's it's fascinating so i if you haven't seen the breadwinner or persepolis please go check both of those out i think i think the breadwinner is on netflix persepolis is currently on criterion yeah yeah i've seen persepolis i, I still haven't seen the breadwinner partially because you said it's really tough yeah um, it is but it's and, so beautiful yeah i i would like to see i just have to be in the right the right mind both of those have it. female directors by the way Oh, cool. I didn't realize the breadwinner did. Yeah, Nora Toomey. She's um, Irish. Interesting. Yeah. Um, speaking speaking of Irish films, I just want to mention Song of the Sea, mm. uh, which, you know, we can argue about whether or not it's a kid's movie or not. <laughs> it's a beautiful film. By the end of that film, I was sobbing. Um, and so that's, that's a film that's directed by... Um, uh, by Tom Moore, who also did uh, Tom Moore and a whole team of people. Yeah. Um, who did they Wolfwalkers? Also, they also did Wolfwalkers, and they also did the Book of Kells, mm-hmm. um, which is is also a beautiful film. And I just love. And the, style. they're the same studio that did the Brenner, by the way. Oh. Nora okay. Toomey has worked with all those guys. Yeah. Um, so I I, just, I like that style of animation generally. Song of the Sea just. I saw it during the pandemic, admittedly. It's like at the kind of the height of the pandemic. It just really <laughs> affected me. Um, it's a beautiful film. It's very touching. It's very uplifting in a lot of ways. Um, it's very funny, but I just love that that kind of it's it's that that animation that feels like it's a picture book come to life. Um, and it's gorgeous. Uh, so I I just love that film. Um, I love pretty much everything that's done by Studio uh, Ghibli, which, mm-hmm. you know, again, again, it's the question of, is this a kid's movie, is it not? I don't think that Spirited Away is particularly a children's film, um, but that's that's one of my favorites. And uh, in, in relation, kind of relation to that, um, I recently got to see Paprika, which was directed by um, Satoshi Kon. I think it was his last film, if not his last film, but close to his last. Um, this was back from 2000, in 2006, and it's it's basically, as I said this on Twitter, it's basically Inception, but good. Um, <laughs> but it's this, it's this idea about moving, uh, having a device that can put you into another person's dream. And what happens in the, over the course of the film is that um, the people who are using this device actually are able to project other dreams into uh, people's dreams into other people's heads. And it becomes this wonderful, fascinating kind of layered effect of um, moving in it. What are dreams? What's reality? What is like actually something that someone is experiencing in the quote real world, which of course is all animated um, versus what is, what is happening in a dream world um, and kind of unpacking all of that. And it's, it comes off as this techno thriller, as psychological thriller, um, but again, beautiful animation, really well done. And I think a really, Again, it's it's that ability of animation to be able to depict things that live action can't completely approximate. 
And so that element of the dream world, um, of dream logic and all of that is, is really fascinating when it's done in an animated format where literally you can defy the laws of gravity, you can defy the laws of physics. Along those lines, I didn't get around to watching that this week, but I really wanted to, and I know it's on Criterion, so I'm going to watch it um, maybe today. But uh, one that I did get to catch was A Town Called Panic. I still Have haven't seen that? seen that. I want to. I <laughs> oh want my to. Gosh. That's on my list. <laughs> it is hilarious. And it really, it also does what you're talking about, where it's like things that couldn't happen in real life that just keep happening. So it's basically, it's a stop motion animated. And um, it's almost like someone watched Toy Story and went, hmm, what can we do that's similar, but not? And so it's like, it's basically all the characters in it are toys like from a like a from a farm set or something so you've got like a cowboy and you've got an indian and you've got a horse they all talk but they all have those um those like plates that the that those like action figure toys stand on so they don't actually move their legs you know what i mean like the like yeah. the toy soldiers and stuff yeah, yeah. and so so those, they don't really walk they just kind of like <laughs> like kind of hop around and um and so it basically it's it's horse's birthday, but cowboy and Indian both forgot. And so they're like panicking, like, oh no, we need to do something for his birthday. So they get him to leave the house and they decide they're gonna build a, a outside brick barbecue. And so Indian goes to order the the bricks that they need. And then there's like a mishap happens and cowboy ends up accidentally ordering 50 million bricks instead of 50 bricks. <laughs> and so then they panic and they don't know what to do because still they're trying to keep horse from realizing that they forgot his birthday so they pile them up on top of the house and of course that doesn't work out and so it's just like <laughs> it's so funny and it's one of these where every time something starts to like okay now we've got it situated then something else some other catastrophe happens and it's just like one one disaster after another and it's constantly like how are we going to get ourselves out of this and then they get on to the next thing and it's it is so inventive and so funny and yeah i i enjoyed that one i highly recommend it <laughs> i i will that's been on my list for a really long time and awesome. it's, it's been available on like different platforms and so i think i'll finally watch it yeah well it's on criterion at least until the end of the month so there there are a lot of really wonderful films on criterion right there now. are so. they have waltz with bashir which is mm -hmm. so beautiful they have um like another one of those really heartbreaking ones they've got chico and rita um gosh uh fantastic planet uh yeah. fabulous baron Munchau munchausen is that it? yeah the um oh what are what is that filmmaker karel zeman mm. um and he's a czech filmmaker he also did uh um he also he did uh, called the invention of uh, invention of destruction um there there are a whole bunch of them and that that you know in terms of the question of live action versus animation so you, what he does are these massive animated sets right like hand drawn they're they're truly remarkable um and then integrates like real live action figures um so you have actors who are like traversing this animated world basically it's really spectacular like i i don't even know how completely how to describe what he does 
Um, invention of, I think it's Invention of Destruction is I think his best. I, I found the Adventures of Baron Munchausen a little slow moving, um, but, but it, it's a really fascinating form generally. And I don't, I can't think of anyone else who does anything like that. Maybe Terry Gilliam would come the closest. Well, it's funny because actually, uh, so the fabulous Baron Munchausen was 1962 animated film. It's, uh, it's, yeah, so that I guess um, got a lot of play around the world. And so I just was reading something that said that Terry Gilliam saw it at BFI and it inspired him to make the adventures of Baron Munchausen in the eighties. So see? yeah, the, the, you, you can definitely see the affinity between the kind of designs that Terry Gilliam does and, and the work that Zeman does. But Zeman, like, like I say, I find it difficult to even express exactly what he's doing. I guess that the, the other person would be Georges Millier. Um, that kind of, you know, combination of hand-drawn images and sets with these live action figures. Hmm. Cool. I have not actually seen either one, so. Anyway. Um, any others that you wanted to mention? I'm trying to think of any others. Um, I think I think that again, you know, you're talking about animation. Animation is so expansive. Oh, I did I did want to say again, you know, kind of be like, oh, this is about adult animation. Just like, well, I am a very grown up adult, and I love Wallace and Gromit. Oh yeah, um, Wallace and, and Gromit are the best. <laughs> and Wallace and Gromit are wonderful. Uh, you know, the <laughs> the penguin in um, The Wrong Trousers is the most horrifying villain uh, you're gonna <laughs> see in an animated film. And I love it because he's just, it's just like, how do they manage to make this little dude look so evil? And, and he's like a penguin with no expression on his face. <laughs> but he's evil, you're just like, that's a bad penguin. Oh. You know it's a bad penguin. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I love I love Wallace and Gromit. I love Curse of the Were Rabbit. I admit that. Like, I do too. Like <laughs> the pro the problem with Wallace and Gromit is that I'm always like I always want to quote Wallace and Gromit somehow, but I'm like, but you can't, can you? Because <laughs> a lot of it is just like, and then he looks really cute when he's like a bunny. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, love it. I'm trying to remember which was the the first one I saw. I think it was a close shave, which was a short. Uh-huh. Yeah, I really liked that one a lot. Um I'm also a fan of Chicken Run too. That one's fun. It same is. same uh same people behind yeah, that Art, one. Hardman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we got another question. This is from at Noah underscore Saturn. Who is your favorite animator? That's really hard to answer. Um I think that definitely um Miyazaki is is in the mix for me um yeah. his his films are just so gorgeous and honestly i'm not a big fan of of um that style of animation anyways i'm not a big fan of anime generally but i really love just that the tactile nature of of his film the the sense that you can actually feel the blades of grass in an animated film is just so strange and yet wonderful yeah it's a hard question for me to answer just because of how, once again, how collaborative it is. And so for me to just say, yeah. well, 
I really like this person. I feel like that discounts all the many, many people that go into, uh, into helping craft the, the projects that they work on. Um, which is, I hope that doesn't sound like I'm dismissing the question because I'm not, um, I think it's a great question. It's just a, it's a tough one for me to answer. And so if I'm looking at individual mm-hmm. artists, I think I do have to go back to like Lada Reiniger because, um, yeah. even though she also worked collaborative collaboratively with other people, I think that, um, she tended to do a lot of that creative design herself and working very directly, you know, in the medium, not just directing. And so, so that, that question, like if you're talking, who's our favorite animated directors, that might be a little bit easier for me. Cause then I would definitely say like Tom Moore is way up there. Um, as far as someone, I really just, I, I admire the projects that he does both as a director and as a producer um and then i have to look at you know there are a couple of of uh pixar and disney folks that i i also really like um too uh i think pete doctor is really really talented in that area um but i also like lord and miller but i think that they're more creative as like writers yeah i think they do great work as directors Mm -hmm. but i think i think what i really like about their stuff is is the writing more than anything so i don't know that i feel like that's not a great answer to the question but just because it's a hard question for me to specifically answer well i i agree and i think that a lot of the time you know when we say so i say Miyazaki, i i think that what it actually comes down to is studio ghibli yeah. Um, you know, so you're almost talking about stu- animation studios more so because there are those, the styles of different kinds of animation, um, the types of films that various studios produce. I mean, we, we reached a point where Pixar, we know what a Pixar film looks like, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, same thing with, with Tom Moore's work that, you know, you know that style of animation, even if Moore wasn't involved at all, right? That style mm-hmm. of animation is so clear and so obvious um and such a such a beautiful style of animation that you're almost talking more about or you know disney is another one looney tunes or yeah you have a lot of different artists working on them but um but the style is very clear and noticeable and um and you either like it or you don't like it you know Mm -hmm. yeah exactly well any final thoughts on animation no, I mean, like, I, I think that it's one of those that I I admit I give it shorter shrift a lot of the time and watching some of those films on the, that, that are on the Criterion channel right now has kind of reminded me that, hey, animation has a lot of different ways of, of approaching film, right? And um, there are a lot of different stories that can be told. And it isn't just, you know, it isn't just Disney and Pixar. It isn't just you know, WB, it's, um, there's a, a expansive world. Mm-hmm. And so much of it, uh, just to kind of expand on something I mentioned earlier, so much of it, um, is international. Like you get some amazing yeah. films, but you have to be willing to, to watch stuff that involves subtitles and, and you get, there's so many just really genius stories being told around the world in animation and it's fun to look at even like like let's say it's hand-drawn even from one country to another what that looks like is wildly different and so fun to explore absolutely 
So uh, really quickly before we completely wrap things up, we have both now seen A24's The Green Knight starring Duff Patel. Finally, it's a movie that exists (laughs) and it is now in our brains forever. Um, And I talked a little bit about my feelings on it, but now, Lauren, how did you feel about The Green Knight? So I've actually I do not actually know the answer to this question. I, I neither do I. Um, <laughs> I actually I actually spent the morning writing up a review in which I was like, how do I feel about this movie? Uh, I liked it. <laughs> question mark. I didn't like it. Question mark. Um, <laughs> I I think that it has a lot to recommend it. Um, I think that's a very beautiful film. I, I like, you know, I, you mentioned the, the slowness of it, but the fact that it doesn't feel, it doesn't, I, there's never a point in the film where I was like, okay, now get on with it, please. Like, I think that the slowness actually really helps to draw me into that world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I liked how, I liked how odd it is. Like, and, and I'm, I mean that in a very positive way. Like it, it's a strange film and it's, and that's because it's based on a strange poem and it tells a strange story. But I like a lot of the things that um, uh, David Lowry, right, is, is trying to yeah. do. I like, I loved De- Dev Patel. I, think, I thought that he gave a great performance. I actually loved everybody in it. Um, I, I love a lot of the ideas. I like um, some of the sequences and everything. I'm not, convinced that it does what it needs to do I'm and, and this is one of the things that I've been I think I will be able to pick through a little bit better in my review um so you know might might wait for that but <laughs> I don't I felt like the film itself didn't try to engage enough with the culture that it was depicting um and, and that includes the religious the social the um the cultural underpinnings of the story of the Green Knight to begin with. And some of this might be because I, I studied the poem back in college. Um, you know, I was never a medievalist, but it was something that I was really interested in. And I think that the film, some of the changes that the film chooses to make to the poem, I understand, but I also think that it's missing something. It's missing that engagement with the society that it is actually depicting and with the deep complexity of, um, of chivalry and of romance and of Christianity and the, and the use of the supernatural, um, the use of the pagan. And while the film, I think, kind of moves in that direction, it, I don't think it completely engages with it in a meaningful enough way that it actually works in, in the way that it needs to in order for it to be a really successful film. Um, Well, and I think, sorry, I'm going to just jump in for a second. I think that that's a really valid um, perspective, especially considering the fact that this is something I was thinking about too, although for me, I was just more willing to just accept it on its face, but I also haven't had the academic, you know, experience with it that you have. Um, But David Lowry is from like Milwaukee. (laughs) So he... Yeah. You know, it, this is this is one of those things that we talk about a lot of like people making films that are outside of their own experience and and knowledge and education and and tradition. And it's funny because normally we dismiss that when it comes to like, 
you know western european or american stuff but it that is equally applicable yeah i i think so you know one of the the touch points that i had when i was watching it was like well this is you know it's it's an a24 film right um and i don't want to give too much credit to to the studio that produces it but um it there was a sense there's definitely a point of comparison with something like the witch right where it's this deep engagement with a very specific and in many ways very alien culture um to our contemporary moment what i think the witch succeeds at and again people disagree with me obviously but what i think the witch succeeds at is immersing the viewer in a culture that we ultimately don't understand um and and trying to trying to make it feel realistic trying to make it feel like this is the reality of these people i didn't feel like the green knight completely succeeded at doing that um and so in other words by the end of the film and i understand why the film ends where it does i understand i think i understand what what the film is trying to get at um but i feel like at the end of the day it's a little bit superficial it doesn't and it's because it doesn't seem to have this deeper engagement with the culture that it is depicting and i that's not necessarily saying that you know it can't or that lowry or anyone else can't make a film like that but there there does need to be that extra layer of connection i think yeah i hear you and i don't disagree with you i think for myself because I think the reason it works more for me is just because like, I also lack that deeper connection to the material, so, and to the culture. <laughs> but, but again, I think the film can do it without, yeah. you know, and oh, I'm yeah. not at all suggesting, I'm not at all suggesting that the film stop, stop itself dead and give us a primer on the chivalric code of 14th century England. Right. Like, you know, I, that, that's not what I'm up to at all, but, um, Although of course it's taking place even earlier than that, but the poem was writ- was uh, written in the 14th century. They think, yeah. Um, so yeah, it, but I I do I do think that you need that. There's like there's a connection missing. That's really the only way that I can describe it, and maybe I will be able to do it better in like my thousand word review that I just spat <laughs> out earlier. Um, there there's just a little bit. There's a there's something that's missing in that connection, and and like I say, I think that it makes the film ultimately more superficial and i don't think that that's intentional right mm-hmm. i don't think that that lowry just doesn't get it or anything like that it's it's that it's just not quite there yeah yeah okay um so that's my feeling about the green knights all right i enjoyed it i liked watching it like i wasn't sitting there going like oh this is boring or anything like that i don't think it's boring at all yeah um and the fact that i'm spending this much time thinking about it i think speaks well to the film as well yeah definitely well and that and that really is one of lowry's strengths not just in this film but in general he does this as, i think the biggest example or the strongest example of his patience as a filmmaker is in a ghost story where not really anything happens but everything happens <laughs> and just a lot of he just takes a lot of time have you seen a ghost story i haven't seen a ghost story yet oh man that that is such an intriguing film and it's one that people either love it or hate it there's really no room for in between <laughs> and uh, 
And I'm definitely in the love it camp, but a lot of people around me are like, that movie is so stupid. I hated every (laughs) minute of it. And it's like, you know what? I totally get it. I understand why you would, and I don't judge you for it. Uh, I I have to say, I think that the Green Knight is is kind of in the lighthouse section of my, of my psyche. It's, Hmm. it's like, I appreciate what you're doing. I don't know if it works, but I'm, I'm willing to try to figure out if it does. Huh. I'm intrigued. That's, yeah. that's kind of. Well, and, and speaking of that, it's funny because I, I also, this week I saw The Night House, which is now, I guess, out in limited release. Um, but I saw it the other night and I had a similar feeling with that movie. That's a, as a horror movie, it's really effective. It's got some really, just brilliant um chills and scares like i i literally got chills watching it i've never had that happen in any horror movie ever but like the first time something happens and i felt like i felt like the you know the goosebumps on my arms and i was just like what that's weird is it cold in here and i was like no that's the movie doing that to me (laughs) and it happened a couple more times it was the weirdest experience but this movie really was as a horror movie to me it was very effective as a metaphor for and i don't want to give anything away anything at all um just watch it if you're interested but as a metaphor for what it's trying to represent i feel like it doesn't quite work and but i also appreciated the effort (laughs) and i thought like you know like this is this is actually really intriguing it's very well done Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and it's like it's almost there but it needed just a little bit more and it's only uh no maybe it was longer than i was thinking it's only an hour and a half now i think it's pretty close to two hours but um but it just it's like just with a little bit more it it could have made its point a lot more clearly mm-hmm. and and just fully been like 100 percent a plus movie but it just kind of misses the mark just a bit but enough that like you're saying with the green knight enough that i still enjoyed watching it i'm still glad i saw it uh, I don't dislike the movie at all. It's just not quite, not quite <laughs> where I wanted it to be. Not quite there, but but that's the thing. I appreciate when films shoot for that. Yeah, I appreciate it just like you know what I I don't think it completely works, but it's really impressive that you even tried. Yeah, and and exactly. that you came so close, right? And mm-hmm. and I think that I appreciate when films are really ambitious that way and are yeah. truly trying to engage with their topic. Um, and and like you say, sometimes it doesn't work. And and you know, and also what might not work for me might work for you or works for other people. Um, but still, I can. It's so easy to appreciate that to be like, you know what that was awesome. You did your best. <laughs> like, I don't think it paid off completely, but good job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So two great movies that you should watch if yes. you get a chance to and form your own opinion and let us know what you think. So yeah. All right. Well, that's gonna, I, I think we've talked long enough today. Don't you? I think we have. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so talked about many um, things yeah speaking of animation and we were gonna talk about this this week but we didn't get get a chance to but we have we had our first uh, patreon event last week it was who framed roger rabbit we're working out some of the bugs we're figuring out some ways to make this you know a really cool 
experience disney plus we learned is a little bit limited because you can only react with emojis and not with any actual like chatting like you can with amazon or i think netflix does it too but yeah um yeah Netflix has like a whole chat window that yeah so does amazon yeah and so so we'll we'll work that out but that was our first our first time and we will be releasing our bonus episode about who framed roger rabbit um as soon as we record it which will be very shortly (laughs) shortly shortly yeah um but we would like to thank all of our patrons who uh who make this show possible and um we just want to thank you all for for supporting us that's adriana ali heather james kathleen cariata mason matt matthew michelle monty nanina robert robert steve sharon tau and will thank you if you would like to join their ranks and become a patron also and then be invited to um our exclusive events you can go to patreon.com slash citizen dame we're definitely going to be doing more of these so this wasn't a one-off um we also have our zazzle store but changes are coming but you can still check out what's there so far we've got zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod and our ko-fi which is co-fi.com slash citizen dame but we love to hear from you not just for your money um so there's lots of ways that you can reach out to us we love email citizendamepod at gmail.com is a great way to to contact us and um, be sure to check out our website citizendamepod.com lauren's gonna have a review of the green knight i'm guessing fairly soon um got some other stuff there (laughs) I'm going to try to write a review of the night house as well. And maybe what the heck, maybe reminiscence too. We'll see. And I know we keep promising it, but the fives are coming back. They really are. Uh, it's just been chaotic couple of weeks. So we're working on that, but you can also reach out to us on the socials for citizen Dame pod. We are on Twitter and Instagram at citizen Dame pod and letterbox. We're at citizen Dame Lauren, where can people find you? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at LH Business. And I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. So that's going to wrap things up for the week. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week. Bye. Uh oh. Here comes the evening rush. Clear out, fellas. Yeah, all right, listen up, guys. The Springfield police have told me that 91% of all traffic accidents are caused by you six guys. Yeah, I know, I know. But the bad news is we got to start having designated drivers. We'll choose the same way they picked the pulp. Everybody reach in and draw a pickled egg. Whoever gets the black egg, stay sober tonight. You got your black one.